Welcome to another day of the bloody best morning news in Australia and possibly on the planet, boys. We get a little brief chat on Azua for a change, but there's been some heavy trading at a significant premium to SQM's mm-hmm. offer price this morning. Uh, some rumours floating around that could be Pilbara. Mm, JD, you're going deep into Exxon Mobil. I I don't think it's that deep, but there is a bit to talk about there. You know, one of the biggest... Because they're oil and gas. One of the biggest oil companies... (laughs) Took me a while. Yeah, so one of the biggest oil companies in the world, you know, some of the headlines saying they're becoming a lithium company. I'm not so sure about that exaggerated headline, but nevertheless, pretty interesting. Yeah, we've got a Rare Earths IPO that Miss Reinhardt's involved in. Yeah, Yeah, we need need to talk about more of Gina, so we're adding another Gina story. Yeah, we don't, it's not, we don't want her on. We're just she's just in the news a lot. So I don't know if she came on. I reckon that'd be good for her PR coming on. I'd I'd rip in. I'd oh, be yeah. like, nah, bugger. We're not we'd doing. Go easy. We're not doing any fluff like, fests on big names. If you're ever going to seem relatable, it's talking to us. Yes, not any other crap. Can't see why she wouldn't want to. Um, <laughs> our all chem live event merger. Bit yeah. on that, and we've got a bit of a new mystery segment just to highlight how ahead of the curve money of mine is and will be into the future. It's a mystery to me. I don't even know what you're going to talk about uh, there. Are you future-proofing money of mine, mate? Fu- future-proofing? <laughs> I could be. I could be. I had a plan of how I was going to do this, but <laughs> I'm, running with, plan. I'm running with yours. <laughs> right. We've had, it's been all action in the uh, end-of-year reporting. So it's nearly come to an end, hasn't it? The, all the annual reports are out. Most of them, aren't they? But the AGMs haven't been they're had happening. Well, they're, they're the ones that yep. report financial year. Which is the major- majority, majority of companies Majority. But then there's also the ones that report calendar year. Yeah. There's a couple it's a of minority, that- but there are definitely some, some companies that will report their uh, financial year in line with the calendar year. So WAF, uh, Resolute. What, Re- Resolute, Gold Road, iLuca, 29 medals. Yeah. And But the reason I say this is... If you are reporting via the calendar year, now's the time to take action on sustainability reports. Ooh, yeah, you don't want it to buddy pile up on you. Because really. that is a thing that can really, oh, shit. Oh, we forgot about that. <laughs> Companies need to take actions. And that, who, who would you call? That's where that? Future Proof Consulting comes in, making sustainability simple. Because you look at the clients they've worked with. So ESG strategy and sustainability ability to report gurus. Look at it. Look at the names. Wow. Anyone that works with the biggest lithium hard rock produce, producing mine in the world, green bushes, you got to take them seriously, boys. There's some good and bad companies in that list, but mostly very good. <laughs> yeah, <you've, laughs> doesn't matter if you're good or bad, you still have to do a sustainability report. So yeah, no for those listening here. to the uh, the audio, some of the names on the list there, you've got Remelius Regis, Austal, Talison Lithium, Capricorn, 29 Metals, a whole bunch of them, right? Degray, Mincor, yep. Neo Metals. Oh, mate, tell you what. Now, as we said, many they did about Future Proof did twenty or thirty sustainability reports last year, and that, as we mentioned in the previous episode, too hard basket. Yeah, that's why you get someone else to do it that really enjoys that sort of shit. Twenty nine Metals are a client. They took action as a calendar year reporter. They are a client of Twenty Nine Metals, so I guess I'm putting the call out. 
to your WAF, your Resolute, your iLurka and Gold Road, take action now, get that sustainability report sorted because you don't want to be one of those companies that's like, oh, shit, we sort of left that to the last minute. Mm. That's where the Future Proof team would come in. Get on the front foot, get it done, call Future Proof. Get the wheels in motion. Take action. Be like twenty nine medals. Well, don't be like twenty nine medals. You don't want in the in the in the sense of sustainability reporting. Yeah, they got a bit to talk about there. Because I mean, heck, there's some environmental considerations in relation to Capricorn at the moment. That is true. That's going to be that's going to be a good report to write. Yeah, that, be a lot all more reason to get a lot of detail. No, right. So had me barn made today. Delicious as always. Q had a message for the money miners. Getting your brains, K drill. <laughs> Can you break it yourself? <laughs> Need K-drill. Need K-drill. Need K-drill. bloody hard rock. I reckon Ryan's hand can crush it. How did you just keep that rock behind this car? Oh, you... Mate, he is, um, he is absolutely in need of Ryan O'Sullivan going to get a barn me because that he has even procured a rock for him to break with his bare hands. Q's tried. He's hit bloody <laughs> – he's got the pork graphical knife on it, tried to bloody try and everything, straight out of bloody Ho Chi Minh City. And, and Matty, the, <laughs> the numbers have been growing, so we should probably tell people who Ryan O'Sullivan is because of those new audio and YouTube subscribers that have been trickling in. Well, I'd like to see YouTube actually get an analytic where we can see how many people have new subscribers or – future growth that has been purely attributable to the Rhino Sullivan myth and legend of this bare hand rock breaking. Um, Cause I think it'd be high. So, yeah. Yeah. And more to the point, mate, um, I don't think Ryan has any time to go get a barn me from that seat because he's too busy finding mineral discoveries. Sometimes he uses the RC drill rigs that Cage will have, but most of the time, it's with his bare hands. Well, the, but the bare hand things ain't been sort of for the last year, so it sort of I think it took a bit of time to get his craft. So I think he's getting a bit quicker at like the bare hand rock breaking technique. So he might have a spare ten minutes um, because Kdrill are growing as a company. With that comes extra capability, extra RC drilling, uh, diversified uh, offerings like the bare hand rock breaking. But stay tuned. K-Drill, big news coming out of him soon, and we're going to drop it on money of mine. So, look, in the meantime, get in touch with him for your RC drilling needs or just to shake Ryan O'Sullivan's hand. You might not have a hand left at the end of that. I have shook it so many times and I'm like part of the minority in the world. I'm a very (laughs) lucky man. Righto, boys, let's get into it. Azure trading as high as $4.37 today. Big question. Who is buying? This is a um, really interesting one, Maddie. The, uh, I mean, I got word yesterday afternoon that Pilbara Minerals have been buying a stake in Azua. If you look at the price action today, it doesn't at all look like the price action you typically see in, in M&A when someone's sort of, you know, doing a raid or buying a stake. I don't, pretty low volume. Like there was a bit pre-trade mm. in 10 o'clock, but like everything else has been pretty yeah. – I mean, what is it? It's only – Oh, three, three and a bit million shares, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And in the last three point two million shares traded today. Totally. And in the last week since Allison stopped buying, five percent of the register has turned over. But the, I wonder if the price action today is actually just a a, a retail reaction to the rumor that Pilbara had been buying a stake. I do think there's yeah. merit in the fact that Pilbara owns some, and I don't know if they've been building that stake or not. But I'm, I'd, I'd love to. 
yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of the price action today, but let's let's roll with the theory that Pilbara has been increasing their stake recently and kind of talk about what why, if that is true, why would they be doing that at so all? That four dollars thirty seven for the money miners, that's twenty three percent above SQM's offer price. Yeah. So it's a significant premium on the significant premium. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's if Pilbara's buying a stake here, right? Like like why? Like there's no realistic pathway to control here because you've got SQM with 20%, you've got Gina with nearly 20%. So it's like, what are they What are they going to achieve by buying a, mi- a minority stake here? I think at the margins, they could frustrate Chris Gina slightly, but, but consider this, right, as a hypothetical. Do you think Pilbara could be trying to pick up its own blocking stake to advocate for it, Pilbara Minerals, to become part of the Chris Gina consortium in the most favourable manner possible? If you buy a stake here, then do you kind of, you know, incorporate yourself into that tie-up or whatever the purple it could look circle, like. Ricardinia. Yeah, totally. That's that's, I think, a legitimate theory that we could entertain it. Right, buying a blocking stake gives them some leverage. Or, and here's an alternative theory, because I think I think that's like that's the most explainable outcome. If Pilbara's buying a stake here, it's like a seat at the table for a tie-up. Like, it's going to be really hard to get any change of control outcome yourself. But the down, like it's it's in there, for, like the they've got protection on the downside because worst case scenario, you can sell to SQM at three bucks fifty, right? So you're paying a little bit for optionality. Worst case scenario, you can sell your shares to SQM for three bucks fifty. So it kind of makes sense there. But I've got an alternative theory, and I think this is a lower probability theory. Imagine if um, imagine if if Chris is happy to align with SQM under the condition that Minres get mining services contract, right? That hypothetical scenario. Then all of a sudden, where does that leave Gina? Um, because SQM's got the funding capability. So anyway, maybe maybe there's a bit of, bit of an alignment there. And Pilbara's coming into the fray to align with with Hancock. And you could see the two and two battle against each other and the and the, the rift in Christina. I don't know. There's two two potential hypotheticals I'll throw out there. I, I, I think in reality, I've got no freaking idea what these negotiations look like, but Pilbara is absolutely kind of getting themselves into a, a seat at the table in those negotiations right now. Or, or Gina Reinhardt buys Minres and Chris Ellison gets his exit. There's a whole bunch of permutations, Matty, a whole bunch of permutations. Viable, that's another viable one to realise the value of his business. The one that I'd ascribe the most sort of or the greatest probability of happening to is Chris getting his hands on the mining contract. Yeah, that, but that do you is. think he's, he, he'd be happy to align with SQM to get his hands on the mining contract there? I think so. Yeah. And so then where does that leave Gina? Will Gina, will Gina I, want to be tied I up I think the that? relationship between, you know, Chris Gina could play out to be quite, you know, case by case. Right. But that's yeah. all speculation. You look, at, you look at the trading, the way it's been trading today, yes, it's gone up a lot, It's but it's all been on market, not that high volume. Look at when Gina was buying Line Town, big, massive block trades yeah. after the close. Yeah, this it's, isn't it's, textbook would, of how you buy a yeah, stake. Pil- no, this is 12 million Pilbara bucks. W- yeah, would Pilbara be buying on market in small blocks? I wouldn't think so. No, nah, I mean they. they you, yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't buy in this manner. You'd have some like sensibilities and execution, trade execution. So there's there's some you know rumor baked into this um this price action. I think. Yeah, money miners watch the course of sales after the close of trade because that's obviously when that's all, when all the big stuff happened that you didn't really see in the numbers unless you looked when for line town. So probably watch after trade, see if anything happens for Azua. Right, JD, Exxon Mobil, big, big bloody – talk about a big company. What would you say? Three times as big as BHP, 
Yeah, roughly US $415 billion market cap. So they're huge. So what they claim to be doing is that they're going to use their oil and gas IP that they've built up over the over the decades to access deep saltwater reservoirs. They'll then use DLE technology to separate the the lithium from the the saltwater, and ultimately produce a battery grade lithium on site. And they want to be doing this by twenty twenty seven, which is you know it's going to fly by. It's going to be here in four the, years. Yeah, not too distant future. And by twenty thirty, they claim that they'll be producing enough lithium for one million electric vehicles. So pretty lofty ambitions, although not too many actual hard numbers being put to this just yet. So they've got this brine project in the US state of Arkansas called Smackover. Smackover. Pretty Smack. pretty hilarious name. What a name. I think if it's down there in Jolie, Arizona, it's Smackover. We should, we should add Thacker, that. Thacker, Thacker Pass. Pass. Yeah. Let's add that to our uh, list of projects to tour. Drink. <laughs> I was about to say something that would have got us in a lot of trouble, so I'll just keep it in my throat. <laughs> just hold fire now. <laughs> to do so, with this prodigy song. Um, so anyway. I find I find Exxon moving into lithium super, super fascinating. They've obviously got way deeper pockets than pretty much all the companies we talk about going into production in lithium. I want to see if it actually, you know, bears fruit, this strategy that they have this IP from decades of oil and gas, you know, drilling and whether that's actually going to, you know, mean anything and ultimately result in better cash flows in future. And then, you know, the the aspect of DLE, we've been talking about it quite a bit lately. I want to see how they prove that out, whether they can prove it out, whether it then becomes an industry standard. And lastly, if that all works, what that does to the lithium cost curve is just going to be fascinating. And, you know, that there are a lot of open-ended questions there. Mm -hmm. But like we said, four years isn't that far away. If they can prove up this whole process and be producing in four years' time, then I dare say we're going to see some serious changes to how the lithium market looks. Do you, do you think they're going to be one of the first movers to prove DLA? I think they've got, like I said, sort of deeper pockets so they can give it a give it a real crack as opposed to some of these other companies, which I don't even want to mention, that were talking about it last year and the year before. But no you know, one's proved it yet. No, no, no one's. No, no one's proved it, but these guys can run at a loss for a longer period than yep. – uh, you know, pretty much any other company. So maybe that gives them a bit of an edge in it. Maybe it's, you know, Rio have spoken about it as well. They've got fairly deep pockets. Maybe they um, lead that sort of funding leads to a breakthrough. Mm. It is probably worth noting that uh, Exxon is teaming up with a, a group called Tetra Technologies. Maybe they're the ones that bring a bit of expertise in that DLE component. We'll, we'll see over the over the coming months when they sort of start putting firmer numbers and start putting that plan into the ground. Wouldn't, Chuck, you, wouldn't you expect like the... The breakthrough, I think the deep pockets is an important point rather than the single asset developer who requires the tech to make sense because you, you need the flexibility to run at a loss and innovate and all that sort of stuff. But wouldn't the the first movers from an innovation perspective probably be the existing brine producer who's making profit and kind of takes a, a small-scale risk with some you know amount of capital and then iterates based on that and eventually that brews some innovation, but they've already got the in-house like lithium expertise. I think either either that or or the oil company who just has, you know, um, orders of magnitude more uh, f- funding capability could, could could be where the real breakthrough here. Yeah, uh, Arcadium would be due for another merger in a year or two. No, <laughs> since they've done this one, so. <laughs> yeah, you're dead right and we'll get onto that one in a bit. But firstly, I want to talk about that uh, Rare Earths IPO that we've been hearing a bit about in the news. So One word, Gina. Gina. <laughs> And, I mean, uh, a word I didn't think I'd be saying in relation to a Brazilian rare earths IPO, Mr. Ricardinho, Whitehaven. 
What do you break it down for us? Uh, yeah, some headlines floating about um, about uh, yeah this IPO coming to market with Gina as a as a major well, as a shareholder there. Um, the company will list as Brazilian Rare Earths with a fifty million dollar raise. I think Canaccord is um is doing the IPO and at a three hundred fourteen million dollar valuation. Oh, like, that's a good ticket to clip for an IPO. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think. Oh. The weird thing on that register, of course, is that Whitehaven Coal is a shareholder. Um, yep, the, the the Whitehaven Coal that obviously has a portfolio of both met and thermal assets on the east coast of Australia has a shareholding in a Brazilian rare earth company that is currently unlisted. And this isn't some uh, lofty IPO that's going to happen way, way in the future. I mean, we're talking about a December listing here, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's near. Um, and in other news, in relation to Whitehaven, uh, their share price is back trading below what it was pre-announcement of the acquisition of the the Met Coal assets from from BHP in Queensland. So, but, poor reaction to the purchase. No, the saying? initial the initial reaction, um, like intraday, was up sort of sixteen percent. That's a lot of that's come off coal prices in general have sort of come off a little bit too. Met coal prices have been have been strong though, so I'm not really sure what to read into that, but I've noticed it just like you, Trav. So I guess what's, we'll see over the, the longer term. What's happening with Gina and Arafura? That's gone quiet. Yeah, it has. I think Arafura is stuck in there. Um, financing, which is, you know, hyper complicated for the myriad of reasons we've talked about with DK. Yeah, this obviously might be her yeah, another rare earth play. She's obviously got some interest in it, but um Things are going quiet on that front. All these billionaires billion, copy billion each other, dollar mate. Bloody cap, billion plus capex in the middle of absolute butt fuck nowhere. These billionaires copy each other. It's like, oh, we're all in iron ore. And then I think like Chris had his own rare earth play with VHM when they came to market. Like the IPO marketing was all Allison-backed uh, rare earth developer. Now, like Gina's obviously picked her ones. They do gas at the same time. They do lithium at the same time. Like, well. Gina's a bit delayed on that one, but does they have a Sunday meeting or oh, something? I don't know. I like think like a catch up. Like, hey, what do we? You and lithium this week? Yeah, I'll go lithium too. Maybe they might just. Maybe it's FOMO. Maybe it's like oh, I can't. You know, I don't know. I don't know how the egos of billionaires work, but um, I think it'd be one like day, mate, one scones day. and tea and stuff. <laughs> like it'd be pretty sophisticated catch up. I'd reckon. Uh, Guys, let's talk about all chem live, and this is probably the, the deepest dive we're going to do today, and it's um, it's pretty intriguing. So. We first spoke about this in, I think, our first or perhaps second month of production. So this is going to be an all-script merger, all-chem getting 56% of the merge co. Livent, the uh, American, more of a chemicals business, getting 44%. So there's a few interesting angles that I want to talk about today. Firstly, is the deal fair? We've just, come, we've just seen the independent experts report come out in the past couple of days. So we're going to comment on that and just sort of see where the cash flows, where the resources, where the uh, capacity is coming from over the the coming few years. Also want to talk about Mount Catlin just briefly. And lastly, as is a a bit of a hobby here, I want to talk about what the incentives are. You've got, you know, the various players, you've got Livent, Allchem, you've got the bankers, you've got the fund managers. Let's sort of break down and maybe put into context the, the headlines you're reading from various sources and what they're really angling at. So this all comes to a head. December 19th is when we're going to see the vote here in uh, in Perth. So that's the scheme vote. That's the scheme vote. Yep. So like we've uh, gone over in the past, you know, 50% of the, the voters and 75% of the shares being voted need to go, um, need to be put in line of the deal for that to go ahead. So December 19th is the date and then you'll just need court approval shortly after that. 
Right. Is the deal fair, JD? All right, let's let's start. Run there. your eye over it. So the argument we've seen lately, and it's come from all chem shareholders, is that perhaps they're getting a you know a bit of a shorter straw here. They say they're contributing seventy two percent of the resources and a few other, you know, bits above their fifty six percent of the merge code that they'll get. So they're not happy. So I'm just gonna put the shout out here for any fund managers, you know, there's been reported Aussie fund managers not happy. If you want to, you know, get in touch, come on the show and put your face and put a voice to your thoughts, why the deal's not fair, just get in touch. Don't be an activist via the AFR article. That doesn't achieve anything. Well, it's it does. Just, but consider just it a form of therapy. Like, <laughs> come in, let your hair down, just get it all out. We're happy for it to be a shoulder to lean on. That's it. Money, to mo- money of mine. So we'll, <laughs> we'll skim over who's contributing what right now. So like I said, 72% of the resources are coming from Allchem. Now, that obviously doesn't speak to any resource upside that you can see, so that's a bit of a, a crude metric to, to go off. Consensus indicates that Allchem are going to be contributing roughly 60% of the, the pro forma capacity. That's on a lithium carbonate equivalent basis up until 2030, so the next sort of six financial years. But I would note that sort of some analysts are saying that is actually closer to a 50-50% uh, ratio by the time you get to FY30. So all came co- contributing more in the more immediate future and then that ratio balancing out. In terms of uh, cash flows, it's the same sort of dynamic. All came compu- contributing a bit more in the near term and then that sort of balancing out over over time. Multiples is another lens to look at this one and um, it was one that we'd seen a lot of the uh, Allchem shareholders be pretty um, pro the uh, deal. They're saying we're trading at whatever, three or four times now and you can see, hey, live and over in America, they're trading at six or seven times. But over the past six months, that has been largely eroded. The sort of group of peers in America for lithium companies is trading at about 5.7 times and here in Australia, 5.3 times. So- Function, you know, function of the price pullback on lithium, mostly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the uh, the prices of lithium companies in America has come off more than it has for lithium yeah. companies well, in Australia. Probably even more exposure to hydroxide downstream versus um, the upstream rock where you, you know, yep. in, yeah, in Australia. Exactly. A few different sort of lenses to look at it. I mean, we've been pretty scathing of mining companies using multiples in the past, but I'll let them off here because a lot of these assets have very long lives. And, you know, that that group of peers in America is, you know, made up of chemicals businesses and the like as well. So a bit more of a, um, a bit more reason to compare them with industrial style businesses, hence using a multiple. So the, the multiple reflects the longer mine life operations in a way, does it? Yeah, you'd use a multiple on, on your downstream facility, um, like to value that, but mines have a finite life. So you want to do a DCF on that finite life. Yeah. <laughs> on the independent expert report, so that came out in a massive 630-page uh, report just in the in the past oh. week. So it was great reading, Maddie. You missed Wait, it out. Where's Ali GC when you need her, <laughs> eh? She'd, bloody, she'd tear that one a new arsehole. She would. So Kroll were the group that did the uh, the independent experts report and, you know, between the low value and the, the high case value, they – said that Allchem were contributing either in the low case 54.5% or in the high case 56.4% of the value to the combined entity. So, you know, i.e. that's in line with with what the deal has been pitched at. And just lastly on the 
the consensus pricing that was used, they reported it being US $14.05 per tonne for SPOD, US $20,000 for carbonate and $22,000 for hydroxide. But so hydroxide is actually currently trading at a discount to, to carbonate, isn't it? Yeah, it's in yeah. Some, some reports that it's at a discount, others saying they're in line at the moment. So yeah. Yeah. And you, you've got some, you've been talking a bit about um, Mount Catlin getting sort of prettied up to be flogged off. Have you, have you any, like, has that, has that thought process evolved over time at all? Or, you know, how have you been thinking about that? Not at all. This is a, this is a company that's going to be headquartered in the US once the deal wraps up. They are going to have their main listing in the US. They're going to have Mount Catlin's side, all their assets in the Americas by um, some downstream in, in Asia. So, you know, Paul Graves, the, the guy who's going to be leading the Merge Co., he sort of said that they're going to maintain a strong presence in WA, but I'm just not buying that at all. I think Mount Catlin is going to be going to be sold in you know the next the next couple of years once this deal is wrapped up. And you had a bit of a look at the uh, the value of Mount Catlin in that independent experts report. Anything of mm. note there? Yeah, I think I think yours is a fair comment. I haven't heard or seen too much of um of Orchem Live Event kind of building out a BD team in WA or anything like that. So. Kind of, I'd, I'd probably be similar minded to you on that front. Um, I did look at the independent expert how they value Mount Catlin. So they, they ascribe a valuation of US 566 million and plus an expiration value of US 50 million. I'm not so sure about that expiration value at Mount Catlin, but um, yeah, we'll leave, leave, leave it there anyway. So the re recovery like at that operation has been so bloody volatile. Like we've been talking about Mount Catlin intimately with each quarterly that kind of comes out. Yeah, DMS only going through fine grain stuff, mm. that part of the ore body. It was like, God, it was low as 24%. 20, 22 in September last year, like 22% yeah. for the quarter. It has got a bit, I think the yeah. previous and quarters have got a bit better. A year later, the last quarter it was up to 68% and it kind of gradually yeah. increased up to there. The IER... Um, models an average remaining life recovery of 56%, but they even model quite a bit of volatility there. And I think that recovery is going to be a big driver of value, whatever the um, the, the view on that recovery is going to be. So, um, yeah, I just, I just think those are some important considerations. I'm not sure how you chuck in US $50 million exploration value at Mount Catlin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another one for Christina to fight over. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you look at it here, it's like – Norseman to unless there's a road going through the guts like Norseman to Ravensall is about three hundred k's, mm. so it's it's sort of off. It's it, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be a play in that in that region or not. No, it looks a, like a bit. It's pretty isolated. Um, probably a bit far away, but maybe some small company wants to take it on as a as a standalone and sort of prove its worth. See if yeah. they can go. Now let's talk about the incentives. One one of our favourites here. So like I mentioned, you've got all the various players. And I mean, let's just sort of peel back the curtain and look at those transaction costs because they're up there with some of the best we've seen, right? Mate, the costs are insane. Um, <laughs> so the combined transaction costs, this is pre-tax number, US $117 million. That's 100 and, 190 million Aussie dollars at the moment. Transaction costs. Transaction costs. Now, I, I, I've hell. never seen a mining company transaction costs that high. I've put the word out to as many of my investment banking mates as I know. And I said, have you ever seen transaction costs in a merger this high? And we're talking people who have advised on giant deals before and no one has ever seen transaction costs this high on any of the deals they have ever looked at or advised on before. We're, like, this is insane, but let's let's break it down. Where are these like transaction costs being ascribed to? Uh, Alchem estimated to be paying US 55.1 million 
of those of that 117, 37 of that is going to the bankers, the financial advisors. Um, and that's just on the on the all chem side. Just on the all chem side, 10.3 million to the lawyers. The rest kind of um, bits and dregs. Live event, they don't break it down, um, but 61.9 million bucks there. US. US, yeah. And even if the scheme is implemented, those combined costs of uh, US 48 million or Aussie 70 million are due. So that's like, even if the even if the deal fails, that's kind of still owed, which is um, a staggering, staggering number. I mean, to, to put it into perspective, right, if anyone's been following the origin uh, M&A kind of saga that's going on there, uh, it's not, not in our wheelhouse and we haven't been talking about it, but it's a massive bloody thing. The deal has been going on forever and it's twice as big on a quantum basis. Um, and the fees are only about two two thirds as large. Uh, like you know, there's just you know twice as long, twice as big. Yet fees are like not even comparable to this. This this the the degree of transaction costs accrued in this is literally mind boggling to me. I cannot fathom how they have like how they are this big. I genuinely have no idea. Yeah, um, just crazy. And they're just the cash costs that we're talking about as well. So you've got other costs that come about. You know that are that are non cash. We're talking performance rights incentives that are going to, to key personnel. And I mean, a lot of those, you know, a lot of that paper will vest on a change of control event, which this, it's, this obviously is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're hundred percent right. I think you, when you talk about costs, it's easy to talk about the cash costs and not the, the, the paper that converts. Um, so Elkham, they have 3.3 million performance rights and their uh, equity incentive scheme for employees and directors and, and the like was, um, this, yeah, these performance rights options. You can see on the, this chart that I'm flashing up on screen that it was resolved that a, a huge chunk of um, these rights vest. The split isn't like quite clear, but let's assume that 3 million of those rights um, you know, vest and, and, and come to surface here by way of shares. That's another Aussie $26 million in, in paper that, um, that, that you, know, you can think of as a cost granted. We don't know how much of that would have vested anyway without a change of control, but just gives some color into the kind of numbers we're talking about here. Um, you know, like sure, there's a merger and there's synergies, and so, and there are costs associated with it. But these are pretty enormous costs. Like your synergies have to be like pretty staggering to <laughs> overcome the um the, the the cost of actually doing a deal. Absolutely, Trav, mate. Trav, there's another element that sort of tickles your whistle a lot <laughs> as part of this, mate. We know, I know what makes you tick, and nothing more excites you. Pretty much the equivalent for me talking about K drillers shareholder activism <laughs> for you, mate. Yeah, it's it's uh, my my dream one day, mate, is to grow up and become an activist. Um. <laughs> sort of are in a way. This you're, is a, the, the non-conformist. You're activist, doing like right? activist representation. Yeah, exactly in a transparent way. The um, so there there is an angle for activists, here, and that's why we're talking about it because we read an article in the AFR, and that um, article in the AFR includes some quotes from Rafi Lamb at our one. Capital critiquing the IER. Um, the, the question is, why is that? What are the incentives there? Well, like L1 are activist investors. Remember, remember when we were talking about the St. Barbara Silver Lake thing? L1 were, 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 the, were the fund that were comfortable to say, we're not happy Silver Lake haven't been let in the data room. They were vocal about that, right? Whereas other institutions were not happy to be vocal about it. Yeah, they were the St. Barbara holders in that case. Mm -hmm. And they literally set up a fund called L1 Catalyst. So, yeah. you know, hint, yeah. hint, they're into this stuff. Yeah, and that fund, an explicit view um, on generating alpha from from activism. I think, like, it's an interesting fund, that one, because it only, it's only to hold six to eight positions where they do deep work on each of those positions and try to create a result. Being public isn't always part of activism. There's a huge amount of activism that happens behind closed doors, but, you know, like, these sorts of firms are happy to be public, which is why Rafi 
come on the bloody show. Trav, don't oh, go sending him your CV. We kind of need you for the podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's your, if you're going to work at a fund, that'd be it. No, no, no. He, he'll be working for us. There's a, <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a couple of last things to uh, touch on here. One, just to rile up all the uh, the people we speak to regularly, the holders of Azure, Wildcat, and a few of these other ones. I'm just going to read out a quote from the Livent CEO, Paul Graves. There's a massive disconnect today, massive, between the value of someone – the value someone is ascribing to a very, very, very early stage or technically challenging project in Australia with only a maiden resource and without full ownership. So, mm. Azua, listen in, I think. <laughs> and lastly, we didn't comment on the time, but a couple of weeks ago they came out with the name Arcadium Lithium. That's what the Merge Co. is going to be called. What do you guys think? Sounds a bit retro. I don't know. I was, I was more in favour of, what did we call it? Owl... Live cam. Live cam. Yeah, I like that one better. That was a good one. All right, Matty, you've got a uh, <laughs> you've got a brand new segment to finish us up on today. Are you going to contribute to this one, or am I going? Um, Matt, I don't solo. know what it is. So you uh, you fly in, and I'll see if well, we've got anything I thought, to contribute. Because like, everything's where I want to be proactive, not reactive. So we're talking a lot about lithium because it's in the news. But how about we get a month or two ahead and think about what's going to be in the news. So put a prediction of what's going to happen. Prediction, but stuff that's still laying a bit dormant that is yet to have an outcome All right, what's things coming up. What is your prediction then, mate? Well, let's go back to the roots of money of mine, the Leonora district. Yeah, yeah. I think there's still a lot to play out there. Ge- Genesis are at the stage of their compulsory acquisition of Dacian. So when I say Leonora, we're Leonora Laverton now, you'd say. That's a... That area. Um, so their offer closes this Friday mm. for the compulsory acquisition for the Dacian shareholders to take it up. Now, you've also got Silver Lake. Remember, they've got their 11% stake in Red 5. Red 5 with the big mill, Silver Lake with all the cash. Genesis, though, do now have, as we previously described, a base case scenario where they don't need that Red 5 mill between the Dacian mill and the Gualia mill. So they've set up so they're not relying on that mm-hmm. I don't think. Right. You also got Brightstar yeah. toll treating at Gualia. Brightstar now, ding ding ding. I do hold a small amount of Brightstar shares. Full disclosure before I say this. Yeah. But um, they're toll treating their ore at Gualia. They got operations either side of Laverton and Leonora. So I think there's a bit to play out. First bit of action I think will be figuring out what is going to come out of the Silver Lake quarter to see what this 11% shareholding means. I don't, as I said, I don't think I, I don't think I see any value in Genesis wanting to merge with Silver Lake now that they've got this base case scenario. But will this force Silver Lake's hand to merge with Red Five? Because if you put them side by side, everyone talks about oh Silver Lake will take over Red Five. But if you put them side by side, it's the other way around now, is it? Yeah. Well, okay. Silver Lake's market cap today is nine hundred and seventy million. This table's from the. Uh, recent Canaccord note. Um, so Red Five have got a bigger market cap. The EVs, because Silver Lake have got three hundred and seventy million in cash. Red Five have net debt. Yeah. Yeah. So and then the the EV in this one doesn't include the Red Five shares because it's a like a liquid dynamic asset. So Silver Lake's EV is pretty much about six hundred and seven million. Mm. Red Five's is twelve hundred. So twice as big of a an operation. So a merger would seem way more likely than Silver Lake taking over Red Five. Mm. So I disagree on the um on the merger happening there anytime soon. 
yeah, I don't think either of them are forced to do anything at the moment. Like having the stake for Silver Lake is all that they really were probably trying to achieve. Um, and they don't like, – like which one of them has the kind of, you know – like when, to get a deal done, you need people to be like, I'm bloody forced to do this. I need to do this. Otherwise, rah, rah, rah. But do you think it would be a, a logical merger in the terms of Red Fiver got the big operation, long life operation till I think it's FY37, balance sheet pressure, mm-hmm. then you've got Silver Lake with depends 300 on, it, odd million in totally, cash. It totally depends on balance sheet, I think. Like if, yeah, if Red Five can uh, see through any balance sheet stress, I mean the paying down the debt, I don't know how – looks throughout the mine. I know they've got more capital to come with another cutback in due course. But um I think I Red Five had solved Silver Lake's problems of depleting reserve and resources. Silver Lake had solved Red Five's problems of balance sheet pressure. I got one for you on this um topic though, Maddie, and that's um one to look out for in a couple of months. So the biggest dog act you can do in corporate Australia is go hostile, like a hostile MA uh bid like right before Christmas, think like Christmas Eve, 23rd December, whatever the yeah. last day of trading is. It's I the think biggest. That extends beyond corporate Australia. <laughs> Mate, it's such a dog act because all of a sudden everyone's Christmas plans blown up, gone. You have to cancel Christmas. Like bankers are called in. Like you, you the board, are like having, four, you know, 10 calls a day on Christmas doing work and it blows out right until Easter. Like it's horrible. Um, so yeah. <laughs> my, my open ended question to you and the money miners is, is there a company that you expect to do the, the biggest dog act in Australia this Christmas Eve or 23rd December or whatever? <laughs> Silver Lake. <laughs> Silver Lake, just something to do with Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Where's the bad blood, right? Where's That's the, the bad blood? Second bit of action, as I said, if you take Red 5 out of the equation, Genesis of, you know. Is this a, a second throw at the dartboard? Second throw at the dartboard. I think Genesis are going to be, now they've got Dace in, it's going to be, I reckon they'd rather mop up little ones rather than going for like a big red five or anything. Yeah. Um, and look, because Brightstar have got operations at either end. They put out that scope and study for 40,000 ounces a year for eight years. I think they'll be on Genesis's radar. My, my take would be that, that Genesis like that. will be be quiet for a while. Now, once the Dacian bid is complete, they'll be focused on getting Admiral and Ulysses as well mm. as Redcliffe from the, from the north filling up the uh, the Gualia mill, which they can hopefully do relatively soon in the in the shorter term. And then in the meantime, you know, I'd see uh, Mount Morgan's being on care and maintenance for mm. quite a few more years to come, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit more drilling out there to to get a bit of a feel. And they've also got their hands full with Tower Hill and we'd spoken previously about the railway and things. So, I mean, I hadn't stopped them in the past, but they've, uh, they've got quite a bit of work to do. So Yeah, and that, it's that Tower Hill lag. It's that. Yeah. Two to three years. It's yeah. like, are they going to try and fill the void quicker than that, or are they going to really? Well, Tower yeah. Hill. I'd seen the reports that that would go to Mount Morgan's. Mount Morgan's, they'd, yeah. and they'd be filling up Gualia with with the rest of the stuff the between Ulysses and Gualia predominantly. Mm. So it's so, waiting for Ulysses to be yeah. developed and come online. So, Maddie, anyway. I haven't got a good prediction off the top of my head. I'll think about it, and we'll like uh, get back to you. You later can revert this week. to uh, next week. You've uh, you've clearly thought this one through, so I'm not just going to throw a random one, but we'll mm. get there. If it all comes, something comes to fruition in two months, we're first on the case. That's it. And we've thrown so many out over the past half year that we just have to trawl through the videos and find one that hits. All I need, all I need is Albemarle and Gina to get along and take Lime Town, and I'm sweet. I'll win bets (laughs) over that. That's my big one. 
Alrighty. Righto. Good stuff, guys. Love your work, boys. Uh, it, we've got a good interview coming up the Sarves. It'll drop Thursday with a, one of the first fundies we interviewed. And, mate, this bloke is sensational at shooting the shit. I'm pumped. Yeah, should be a good one. It's going to be an absolute ripper about all the hot stuff we talk about. For sure. Righto. Too easy. Thanks to all the partners. As always, DSI Underground, Terra Capital, McMahon Mining Title Services. I'm, hopefully they're still sponsoring us after my um, <laughs> video footage yesterday. I think they are. I think they were fans. I think they liked it. Uh, it. Future Proof Consulting at the top of the show. Anytime Exploration Services, KCA Site Services, JP Search, Brooks Airways and K-Drill. That's it. Thanks a bunch, guys. And Hooteroo. Hooteroo, Money Miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.